Today, we're looking at the greatest hindrance to people trusting in Christ. Now, as we study the Bible, we believe that Jesus is coming soon to take his children home to be with him in heaven. It is seen in Scripture as an imminent event. We covered this in detail at family camp as well as many times here in church. The rapture of the church is something that could take place at any moment. If anything is clearly taught in Scripture, it's that. And that fact in itself basically brings to the very top the argument or the belief that the rapture takes place before the tribulation period. Because if it took place later into the tribulation period or after it, there are many things that yet have to take place. But that was not the message of the apostles, the early disciples. Their message was, and Jesus said, I could come back at any time. Behold, I come quickly. Well, he wouldn't be saying that, okay, if it wasn't true. He expects us to be looking. Now, we call that the rapture of the church, but those who have not trusted Christ, sadly, will be left behind. We don't want you to be left behind. We don't want anybody to be left behind. And so this is why we cover this. This is why we give the gospel in every service at this church, because we want to be sure everybody that God impresses and they respond to him properly, okay, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We want to be sure that everybody is saved who he knows is going to be saved during this church age in which we live. After the rapture comes the seven-year tribulation period that, according to Jesus, is the worst time of suffering, disaster, and death in all of human history. This is yet coming. So our church is committed to sharing the gospel, the good news of salvation to the world. And yet at the same time, there's an amazing amount of resistance that can come to the message of the gospel. Most of your big name preachers today that if I started naming them, yeah, I've heard of him, I've heard of him. Most of them believe in a false gospel. They may not understand that's what they're saying, but by what they're saying, oftentimes they're adding works into the gospel. They're adding things to the conditions God has said. And in that, because there's only one gospel according to Galatians, in adding things to that message, that message becomes a false message which is under the curse of God. It's a very serious issue. It's a very serious issue. You might say, well, maybe they just don't see it. Well, if they don't see it, I hope somebody will get to them. But really, to see it is not difficult. All you have to do is accept what the Bible says. Read what the Bible says. Forget about the books for a while. Read what the Bible says. But there's resistance. You know, at times, it's almost like some people don't want to be saved. <laughs> you explain to them the terms of salvation. They say, I, I can't accept that. And we're going to talk about, by the way, some of what they say. That's the barrier. And it all points to one thing, really. I got a question for you today. Does God love the world? The Bible's very clear. Now, Calvinists still don't get that one. If you ask a Calvinist, does God love the world? They say, well, in, in a general sense. What do you mean in a general sense? You mean like he loves a tree or something like that? No, friends, he loves the world, period. He loves everyone. 
God is love, and he only, by the way, he only loves in a sense one way. It's agape love, because that's what he is. It's the, it's the perfect love. It's the highest level of love, and he loves everyone the same way. Now, if that is true, and it is, why would a loving God who wants to save us from the horrors of hell make it hard for us to be saved? The answer is he wouldn't. He did all the hard part. It was hard. What had to be done to solve the problem was hard. But Jesus did it. More about that in a few minutes. When explaining the gospel to people, there can be roadblocks that keep them from trusting Christ, though. And there's nothing more important than this issue, folks, that we're covering today. Heaven and hell are real, and they are forever. Once you are there in either place, you are there forever. No getting out. I find it worth noting that more people believe in heaven than in hell, as if not believing in hell makes it go away. It doesn't go away. We don't want anybody to go there. So what is the greatest hindrance to people trusting Christ as Savior? It's a five-letter word. Most of you probably can guess it. It's pride. Pride is the problem. Pride has always been the problem. This is in contrast, by the way, to another five-letter word, grace. Simply put, pride will keep you out of heaven, and it is grace that gets you into heaven. But they're opposed. They're diametrically opposed to each other. We are saved by grace, and the vehicle, of course, we are saved by grace through faith, faith in Jesus Christ. But there's blindness. There's ignorance today. Look at Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, which are really foundational verses for our church from day one since we started the church. And it says this, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Now, did you see anything in that verse that says there's something else you have to do? No, there's nothing else. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse 9 defines what not of yourselves means. It's not of works lest any man should boast. That is clear, for by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let me, let me explain this to you very quickly, then we'll move on. Just saved, saved through faith. Faith in what? That's a legitimate question, by the way. Because people today, they hear that and they say, faith, okay, just what do you believe? Believe that, believe that God exists, believe that Jesus exists, I'm going to heaven if I believe Jesus exists. No, it's more than that. It's faith in what he has done for you. Okay, let me explain this. If this represents you and me, and we're going to let this wallet represent our sin. Here we are. Every one of us is a sinner. God loves us. He hates our sin. As I'm going to cover more in detail in just a couple minutes. Heaven's a perfect place. You don't get there with any sin at all. If you've sinned at all, you can't go in as it stands at this point. God says because we've sinned, that sin brings with it a penalty. Just like you break the law, you pay the price, okay? At least that's the way it's supposed to be. It's that way with God. You break his law, he says, a death payment must be made. Now, that doesn't just mean physical death. It means we'd be separated from God for all eternity in hell. God doesn't want that for any of us. Now, religion will say, well, good works will take away sin, but that's not what the Bible says. We just read what the Bible says. It's not of works, 
lest any man should boast. So the, if the best I can do will not take away my sin, then how am I going to get rid of it? Well, there's nothing that I can do in myself. As Yankee Arnold often says, and he's right, God loves you so much that he would rather die than live without you. And that's exactly what he did. God, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came into this world, and when he went to the cross, the sinless Son of God, he took our sin upon himself, and he made the payment so we don't have to. He did it for us. All the work was done. He was buried. He rose from the grave. And he says, if you will put your faith in him that he did that for you, the moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. For by grace are you saved. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited. Unmerited. In other words, you can't do anything to deserve it. Unmerited favor. Undeserved kindness. That's what grace is. And so that is how you're saved. Now, here's what people oftentimes think when they hear that they are lost sinners in need of a Savior. Maybe this is how you think, because these are the things we hear, and these are the things, unfortunately, some of us believed at one point in life. As a matter of fact, most of us did. First one I want to mention is this. You hear the gospel, you hear the terms of the gospel, that we're sinners, our sin separates us from God, and here's the first thing many people say. Well, I'm not so bad. This person has the mindset that he is the one who decides the level of sinfulness that God will allow into heaven. Think about it. I'm not so bad. Oh, so then you are the standard. You are the bar, so to speak, on living that the level of sinfulness that God will allow into heaven, you are defining that then? Look with me to Romans chapter 3. What does God say about that issue? As I've mentioned many times when we do our fair evangelism in the summer at the Benton County Fair, we invite people to take the survey and some of them don't want to do it and they'll walk by and they'll say, no, I'm good. You want to just jump out there and grab them by the shirt and say, no, you're not. You're not. But you're not supposed to do that. So far, I don't think any of our people have done it. I think some have come close. But uh, anyways, look at Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. How many? None righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. How about this? Starting in verse 10 through verse 12, every time the word none is used, as you're reading it, I want you to say it out loud, okay? Okay. Verse 10, as it is written, there is righteous, no, not one. There is that understandeth, there is that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is that doeth good, no, not one. That's the standard. This is what God says. He looks at mankind and man says, well, I'm not so bad. God says, no, you're not righteous. You don't have what it needs to go to heaven. But why would a person say, I'm not so bad? It's because of his pride. He doesn't understand how God sees this. Folks, we don't understand the holiness of God. We don't understand how holy God is. We don't understand how repulsive sin is to God. We don't understand it. Why? Because we're using ourselves as some sort of a self-righteous measuring stick. Look at verse 23. For all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. We fall short of God's standard. What is God's standard? Listen to me. It's perfection. Perfection. Hold your place here and look with me over to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. We are, like, we are all as an unclean thing. All the best. You notice it says all our, not our sins, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The best I can offer God is filthy rags in his sight. I won't go into detail here, the Hebrew, what this is talking about, but just believe what it says. This is how God, when God looks at us, the best we can offer him, that's our good works, by the way. He looks at them and they're filthy rags in his sight. Why? Because he's so holy. He's so holy. So the first thing some people say is, I'm not so bad. But secondly, if they understand they are a sinner or they may have trouble up ahead, then they'll come up with this one to help themselves feel better. I'm not as bad as some people. You ever heard that? Well, you know, we're all sinners. Well, yeah, we we are all sinners, but I'm not as bad as some people. See, we always compare ourselves to someone who does more extreme sins, at least in the eyes of God. If you get anything, get this today, God doesn't grade on a curve. Didn't you love the curve, by the way? Those of us who had that in school, the ACE school doesn't have that. But I remember we had that in public school, the curve, you know. And uh, if everybody did lousy, then they would adjust the, the level of passing or good grades. And all. God says, no, no, it doesn't work that way. God, what's your curve? I have none. I have only fastballs. Okay. Absolute perfection. That's the standard. That is what sinlessness is what is required for you and for me to get into heaven. Look with me to Revelation chapter 21. Talking about heaven where we're going to spend eternity, believers, and it says in verse 27, and there shall in no wise, no way enter into it anything that defiles, that sins. So what defiles means, sins. There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever worketh an abomination, an abomination is a sin. So if you've ever sinned, if you've ever worked a sin, or maketh a lie, if you've ever lied, then you're not going. You can't get in. So you may not be as, as evil in the sense of the amount or the severity of sin as such a, like a Charles Manson or an Adolf Hitler, but God says, even if you've told one lie, you can't get in. Not even one. Now, you know, there may be people who will hear this message and at this point they want to turn us off because they'll say, well, I can't accept that. Friend, you better accept this. Your eternity is in the balance. This is the truth of it. For you to get into heaven, for me to get into heaven, God's standard is perfection. And none of us have it in ourselves. So, I'm not so bad, or I'm not as bad as some people. But what does Romans 6.23 says? The wages of sin is death. Have you sinned? Yes. There's a death payment that's required of you. The wages of sin is death. Even one sin 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. By the way, you will not find anywhere in Scripture anything such as venial sins and mortal sins. Catholics, do you hear me? No such thing. All sin brings with it a death penalty. Even a thought of jealousy or envy. Death penalty. James chapter 2, turn there with me. See, this is what the Bible says. This is what's key. James chapter 2 and verse 10 might say, well, I, I think I have to keep the Ten Commandments to go to heaven, okay? Do you? Well, most of the time. <laughs> no, wait a minute. You just condemned yourself. Well, I have to keep the Ten Commandments to go to heaven. How often do you do it? Most of the time. That means you don't always keep the Ten Commandments. You just told me you have to keep the commandments. Now you tell me you don't do it. So where are you going when you die? God puts it in very clear terms, crystal clear in James chapter 2 and verse 10, where it says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point. Look at the next words. He's guilty of all. It's just like you've broken all the commandments. If you break one, it's just like you've broken them all. Are we uncomfortable yet? Now, safe people wouldn't be uncomfortable with this because we know where it's going. But if you've not trusted Jesus Christ to save your friend, you ought to be seriously concerned about where this is going. Because we're all sinners. We all fall short. The best we can do and offer to God is of no value. And death and hell awaits. This leads us to our third issue, and it is this. And we hear this often. Well, my good works will get me there. My good works will get me there. Now, we've already kind of covered that. Go with me over to Matthew chapter 7. The Bible clearly says that your good works won't get you there. There are a lot of people who still hold to the idea that when we get to heaven, there are these big majestic scales there. And on one scale, God's going to put all of the bad things we've done. And on the other scale, he's going to put all the good things we've done. And whichever one is heavier will determine where you're going. 100% made up. That's nowhere in the Bible. It's not even close in the Bible. That is created by people who think you go to heaven based on how many good deeds you've done. No scripture supports that whatsoever. Remember, God requires perfection. If there were scales, it would be this way. God takes your whole life as a person. He puts it on the scale and they all come down on the bad side. <laughs> because all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. No hope, friend. Now, Matthew chapter 7 has a passage that is amazing to me, how clear the passage is, yet people actually think that it's teaching the opposite of what it does. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking. He says in verse 21, by the way, the, the context here is false prophets, false teachers. And in Matthew chapter 7, Verse 21, it says this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. 
How many times I've heard people say to me when I've explained the gospel, it's a free gift through faith in Christ. God loves you. He wants to save you. He'll save you for free. Just trust in Christ. Believe that what Jesus did on the cross, he did it for you. And when you put your faith in him that he did that for you, he'll give you everlasting life. You're saved forever. They'll say this, that can't be true. The Bible says not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord. Have you ever noticed they stop there? They never finish verses 22 and 23 because actually these verses teach just the opposite. Look at it, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Ah, See that? You have to obey the Bible. You have to obey the Bible. Well, there's one thing in the Bible that you do have to obey or believe, and it's put your faith in Christ. Jesus was kind of asked the same issue in John chapter 6, and I'm not going to have you turn there. He was asked, what do we do that we might work the works of God? See, there there was that mentality, we've got to do good works. And he said, well, this is the work of God. If you want to call that, this is what God wants you to do. And then he defined it, that you believe in him whom he has sent. It's faith in Christ. Well, I don't believe that. Okay, well, let's read on in Matthew 7. Look what it says. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. It's not good works. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Read on, verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, so here they are. Here's what they are trusting in to get them in. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Where's their faith? Their faith is in what they're doing, not what they believe. And then just to make it clear, he says, Jesus says, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. You are never one of mine. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Do you remember where Isaiah said, all our righteousnesses are filthy rags? There you go. Notice the things that they were relying on and notice what's missing there. Not one of them said, have I not trusted in you as my savior? It's not mentioned. Why? Because that's not what they did. They were trusting in their works to get them in. Titus 3.5 says this, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, not by good works. By the washing of regeneration, that's when you put your faith in Christ, your sins are washed away and you are born again. That's what regeneration is, being born again. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So there are those who say, what, what have we seen so far? Number one, I'm not so bad. Secondly, well, I'm not as bad as some people. Third, my good works will get me there. Then the next one I think is very interesting. And folks, this is the most deceptive of all. My good works will help me get there. They'll help me get there. Well, no, I'm not going to say it's only by my good works, but my good works need to get attached to what Jesus did for me. It's Jesus and my good works. There's a word for that. There's a term for that today. It's called lordship salvation or discipleship. 
salvation. If you ever listen to Christian radio today, very few people, they used to talk about believers in Christ. They don't talk about believers in Christ anymore. They talk about Christ followers. Following Christ has to do with the way you live your life. Really what it is, it's another, what's behind that is the mindset. Now, I know some people use it unknowingly, but it's the mindset that I must follow Christ. I've heard all true Christ followers, you know, and they'll use that in the context of salvation, being a true believer or being a believer in Christ. My good works will help me get there. This is perhaps the most deceptive error of all. In other words, you must live for Christ if you want to go to heaven. What Jesus did on the cross is not enough. That's a starting point. But you must also live a faithful life if you want to go to heaven. Folks, this is works for salvation. This is still, do you see the pride in there? It's still in there. We can't get it out of our system. We just can't. Well, I'm not so bad. Yes, you are. Well, I'm not as bad as some people. Yes, you are. Well, my good works will get me there. No, no, they weren't. Well, my good works will help me get there. Do you see this? Do you see the deception? In this error, this is the error of either Calvinistic or Arminian theology. People say, well, you've got to be either a Calvinist or an Arminian. What are you? I say, I'm neither. Sit down. Listen. I'm neither. You got to be one or the other. No, you don't. I'm a biblicist. I believe what God says. See, here's what a Calvinist says. Calvinist will say, sola fide, sola fide. Oh, they love to use the Latin, by the way. The Calvinists love to quote Latin. I don't know why it's a dead language. Why would you want to quote that which is dead? Anyway, sola fide, sola fide. Do you really believe? Here's what they'll say. Well, it's faith alone. It's faith alone in Christ, but faith alone in Christ is never alone. In other words, it's faith in Christ and you'll live a good life. And here's what the Calvinists believe. If you don't live a good life, you never had it. You were never saved. That's what a Calvinist believes. Hence, you can never truly know whether you're saved or not. That's exactly what they believe. I'm not making this up. Check it out. It's called The Perseverance of the Saints. I wrote a book about this, at least partially about this, called Secure Forever. God's promise or our perseverance? It's not our perseverance, but Calvinism teaches your works do play a part because you need to perform to prove to yourself, to talk yourself into the fact that you're a believer, that you're a saved person. But the leading Calvinists, they all die not knowing whether they're saved or not. Many of them, most famous ones over the years, have said to their friends, other Calvinists, please pray that I die in the faith. Not good, friends. Not good. What do the Arminians teach? Well, you put your faith in Christ as your Savior, but if you ever quit living for Christ, you'll lose your salvation. So Calvinists say you can't know you've got it. And so they're looking to their, by the way, what is a Calvinist looking at? Really, they're looking at their works, not at the finished work of Christ. The Arminians, Jesus and our works. And if I don't do the works, I have to get saved all over again. That's a 
It's called Teflon salvation. Nothing sticks. Some of you younger people, you don't even know what Teflon is. <laughs> it was a big deal back in the day. It was the first stuff that they came out with, frying pans and stuff, that it was coated with this and nothing would stick to it. Arminians have Teflon salvation. My good works will help me get there. No, no, they won't, friend. They won't. The Bible says you can't help yourself to be saved. It is only through Jesus Christ did and what he did on the cross for you. That is why he came. Listen, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. The whole reason Jesus came is because we could not save ourselves. If we could save ourselves, he would not have come into the world. He would not have gone to the cross. He would not have suffered the torment that he did when he died on the cross to pay for our sins. It was the worst agony any human being has ever endured. He would not have done it unless he had to, to save us. If there was another way, he wouldn't have come. Galatians 2.21, Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. You know what the word frustrate means? It means to nullify, to cancel out. Now look at this. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, that's good works, then Christ is dead in vain. Christ died for no reason. If we could earn it by good works, Jesus died for no reasons. But you see, the grace of God is we cannot merit salvation. That's why Jesus came. Grace is unmerited kindness, unmerited favor. Turn with me back to Romans chapter 3. It says in verse 26, Romans 3, 26, it says, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That's all it says. doesn't say believes and lives, believes and is faithful. Now look at verse 27. Where's boasting then? Remember, for by grace you saved through faith that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should. Where's boasting then? It's excluded. There'll be no boasters in heaven. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> by what law? Of works? Nay. Nope. Nope but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude, I love conclusions, therefore we conclude that a man is justified, declared righteous by faith, watch this, without the deeds of the law. It isn't grace and works, it must only be by grace. You might say, well, don't you mean either by grace or works? If you could earn it, yeah, either by grace or works, but we can't earn it, so it's only by grace. See, this does away with the idea of faith in Christ is important, but I must do these other things, which, by the way, leads us to the fifth issue here. The fifth thing that we hear, well, what Jesus did was important, but that's not all there is to it. I hear that all the time. That's not all there is to it. Friend, listen. It's not up to God to accept the righteousness that we send up to him. It's worthless. 
It's up to us to accept the righteousness he sends down in his son and the payment he made. Turn with me to John 19. The argument, and it's, it's pride is behind every one of these points I'm giving you today. Pride is the driver. What Jesus did was important, but that's not all there is to it. You know, the vast majority of people that you talk to who even say they're Christians or evangelicals, boy, that was, you know what, years and years ago in the early 20s, an, e- an evangelical, that was a, that was a good thing. That was a badge of honor, being an evangelical. And then they became the new evangelicals, then the neo-evangelicals. So then the term came out, well, fundamentalists. Now, of course, the media has hijacked that now and taken the name that we love, you know, they love the brand Muslims with fundamentalists. And so now, if you're a person, you're a Christian who believes the Bible, you're a fundamentalist. Okay? Well, really, if you take the word fundamentalist, what is it? It's somebody who believes in fundamentals. Guilty. Do you believe the Bible's the Word of God? Yes. Do you believe it's true from Genesis Revelation? Yes. Not like Andy Stanley, by the way. Some of these others. Do you believe that the flood was real? Yes. Do you believe it was a universal flood? Yes. Do you believe the Genesis account of creation? Yes. Do you believe those days are literal 24-hour periods? Yes. Do you believe Jesus is God? Yes. Do you believe he was a virgin born? Yes. Do you believe God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all of our sins? Yes. Do you believe he literally came back from the dead? Oh, yes. Yes. Do you believe he's coming back again? Yes. Do you believe that there's going to be a new heaven and new earth wherein dwells righteousness? Yes, and I'm going to be there because God said, if I put my faith in Christ, I've got that as a guarantee. Hey, I'm guilty. I'm a fundamentalist. You need to be, by the way. If you're not one, you need to be. But that's a fundamentalist, not some wacko who does all the snake handling and goes berserk. Wow, that struck a nerve. (laughs) Yikes. Nobody's raising rattlers in our church, are they? (laughs) That's spooky. Look at John 19. Here's Jesus hanging on the cross. God in the flesh. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, finished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. It's an accounting term. It means paid in full. Paid in full. Now listen, the objection. What Jesus did was important, but that's not all there is to it. Oh no? What was needed? A payment for sin. Jesus said he paid it. So what is left? Nothing. It's just faith in him that he did that for you. Passage, Romans chapter 4. Let's go back to Romans. Look at the language, friends. I know, I still, I don't think it's just faith in Christ. Well, if you believe it's just Jesus alone, you'll go out and live a life of a rapist and murderer and thief and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know what? If you've trusted Christ the Savior, there's nothing you could do to lose your salvation, even if you did those evil things. But if you're a child of God, God will deal with you in your life. If you take a path of rebellion, he says, I'm going to discipline you, I'll chasten you, but it'll never be hell. 
it'll never be hell. But here's the truth. When Jesus died on the cross, how many of your sins did he pay for? Paid for all of them. That not only includes the ones you've done, it includes the ones you're going to do. Because when Jesus died on the cross, all your sins were yet in the future. You hadn't been born yet, unless you're extremely old. Romans 4 verse 1, what shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has where of the glory, keep reading, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If you're going to work your way to heaven, you have this insurmountable debt that you're going to have to pay. Verse 5 is where you ought to be. But to him that worketh not, but believeth. Do you see believing is in contrast to working? I've heard people say, well, if you have to believe, isn't that a work? No, God says it's not. It's, it's contrary to work. It's the opposite of work. Believing. believing is believing in what he has done, not what we must do. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. What do you need to get into heaven? You need the righteousness of God. Your righteousness, my righteousness, is as filthy rags in his sight. His righteousness is absolute perfection. Friend, when you trust in Jesus Christ that he died and paid for all of your sins, your sins are forgiven, they're taken away, and he gives you his righteousness in its place. That's grace. We don't deserve that. Now, if you receive everlasting life the moment you believe, then what more is there to do? He that believeth on me, Jesus says, has that moment everlasting life. Okay, if this Bible was eternal life, God says, trust in my son. Put your faith in my son that he died for you and paid for your sins and rose from the grave. I believe that. I trust in him. God gives me everlasting life. Then you've got the religious zealots. They come along, the lordship salvationists, the Arminians, the Calvinists, and they say, oh, no, 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 no. That's not all there is to it. You must also do good works if you want to have everlasting life. I say, wait, hold it, hold it. Wait a minute, what do I have in my hand? I have everlasting life. I already have it. Don't tell me I have to do something else if I already have it. What you're saying can't be true if I already have it. Jesus said, when I believe, the moment I do, I have it. Do you believe that? I hope you do. Well, I know I'm going because I'm being faithful and I keep believing. No, friend. See, we just can't let go of our good works, can we? It's all of what Jesus did. It's nothing that you can do. All you can do is believe he did it for you and he'll give you everlasting life. Those kind of people, I say, how faithful do you have to be to prove you're saved? Don't all religious people, by the way, do good works? All religious people do good works. God says you're not saved by good works. Are all the religious people that do good works, are they all saved? No, they're not all saved. Well, then your good works aren't the issue, are they? You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing more nothing less, nothing else. This is to die for. 
People say, have you ever tasted this thing? Man, it's to die for. I'm not going to die for any piece of food. (laughs) I don't have good taste to begin with. But I'm glad Jesus died for me. I'm going to close with some lyrics to a great hymn. Just listen. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary. No merit of my own, his anger to suppress. My only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. And now for me he stands before the Father's throne. He shows me his wounded hands and names me as his own. His grace has planned it all. Tis mine but to believe and recognize his work of love and Christ receive. Then the chorus, for me he died, for me he lives. An everlasting life and light he freely gives. Have you received the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord? God wants to give it to you. Friend, if you're watching, God wants to give it to you. It's a gift. You can't merit it. There's no promises. It's just his promise to you. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.